0: Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.
1: Oh, Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed weekly podcast where we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear to places to dive in scuba news scuba obsessed episode 340 is recorded live august 31st 2017 Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan where we're trying to squeeze all the summer we can get. Joining me this week we have Jim Schultz from the Straits. How are you doing today, Jim?
0: I'm just doing great. I'm coming from the northeast side of the great state of Michigan, almost as north as you can get in the lower peninsula.
1: And we also have Kevin Ailes joining us this week. How are you doing today, Kevin?
0: Hey, I'm doing excellent,
2: Darren, and I'm here in the not-so-glamorous area called Bangor, Michigan here. Ooh, hey,
1: yeah.
2: (laughs) Thanks for having me, and how about yourself, and how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing great, getting everything all connected as we are in our final stages of our migration to technology. It's always fun to have, at least most of it, working. Matt got bit by the technology issues. Uh, Skype was giving him fits, so uh, he may pop in if he can get that all taken care of, but it seems like if you update Skype, it screws up with all his audio drivers, so he may not be able to make it. We have two chat rooms going live. This may be one of the few times we we do that. We have TalkShoe, the legacy chat room running, and we also have Discord, which is a new one. If you want to know how you can get invited to our Discord channel, you will go to the Scuba Obsessed website, click on the Contact Us page, scroll down. It has all the different ways you can contact us, and one of them is Discord. And what we do is we have a channel in there that you're going to be invited to called Live Show Chat. So that's a always-going channel, whether we're broadcasting or not. But uh, you don't have to wait for us to connect or do anything. You just pop in there, and that's where we'll be. So that will be our new channel. And then we're working on another way of doing audio that will replace talk shoe. We've talked about doing... Uh, YouTube streaming, but with the bandwidth issues that we're seeing, that might not be possible. There's also some options. I'm, I might play around with doing some things with virtual audio cables to feed directly into Discord. We can make that chat channel uh, an audio stream as well, so maybe we'll stream that way. So we still got a few things we're working at, but we're getting there towards the end. We also this week have moved our uh, streaming, uh, not say streaming, our uh, podcast feed, it was done through TalkShoe. I've done the final submissions, and we are now running it through Podient, which is our new service. Uh, you really don't have to worry about it. If you're listening to us through Stitcher, you can just keep listening that way. If you're through iTunes, most likely it'll take within the next five or six days you'll start getting the feed on the uh, the new stream. So most of them will just continue on. We've also added some new streams, Uh Talkshoe wasn't supporting high resolution images that some of the new streams were requiring such as google so we have now submitted the podcast to google uh, audio and uh, we are on there as of today so you'll start seeing that in search results if you search for us so there's a variety of ways that you can listen we'll keep adding them now that we've migrated and we certainly appreciate your listening and so let's go ahead. Well, thank everybody who's in the chat room. I talked about two chat rooms. We have Dave. We have her. We have Eric. Uh, we have uh, TK Derek and uh, Eric again and Dave again in the other chat room. So it's a uh, quite a crowd. Kind of like looking in a mirror sometimes. So first article up is diver. Yeah, we've a good turnout
2: tonight.
1: We did. First up is a diver joins calls to a. Oh, this is is this the right one? The, yeah. I, I'm reading it off a tablet, which I don't normally do, so I'm not quite got, got my notes as normal. One, was it the Niagara ship, the first wreck?
2: one was the Niagara ship,
1: wreck. Yep.
2: I can post that one instead if you'd like, if you, yep. if you want to do that. The one, I can do that too.
1: Sure. Uh, the diving pioneer and environmentalist Wade Doak, Doak, D-O-A-K, is backing calls for a high-tech survey of the wrecked Niagara off Northland's east coast. The big passenger liner was sunk by a German mine in June 1940 north of the uh, Makohinu Islands and lies 120 meters deep. Mr. Doak has auth- offered, uh, offered, authored several books on diving and is known for his advocacy of Poor Knights Island Marine Reserve. He said he visited Niagara several times and doubted, in uh, doubted contingency plans could deal with spilt oil if the hull suddenly collapsed. No one actually knows just how much oil is still in the wreck or how fragile the hull is after 76 years in the seabed. I don't think we have the ships or the equipment to deal with that. Salvers have been inspecting the ship off Northland's east coast and said that up to 1,600 tons of oil could still be in the bunkers and the hull is deteriorating. They're warned that could eventually implode, leaving oil slick four times bigger than the renas, which if you remember that was that uh, uh, cargo carrier that ran ashore. It's probably been uh, several years now down there. Um, It could devastate beaches, bird life, from the poor Knights Islands to the Hukuriki Gulf. Then I'm slaughtering names, so I apologize, anybody New Zealand. Uh, Maritime New Zealand, MNZ, and Minister Simon Bridges have deflected the concerns of the Conservation Board in Auckland and Northland who want the wreck cleaned up. The letter to the Auckland Conservation Board, Mr. Bridges said, monitoring the wreck has found minor amounts of oils that have leaked and naturally dispersed with no observed environmental impact, Due to the depth of the wreck and the type of oil on board, it's likely the oil is in a near solid form, which much of the time, and it is likely dist- uh, distributed over a number of spaces and compartments. Contingency plans are in place to collectively cover the risk and response plans for any oil spill from the source, including the Niagara wreck, Mr. Bridges said. Are you familiar with any, I mean, this the, when you look at photos of the ship, uh, it doesn't look like a ship that would be running on that really tarry oil. I'm thinking that this would be a little bit looser. I don't uh, picture the oil from that's in this vessel, uh, the Niagara being in a solid form.
2: Well, I think it probably was originally, uh, like, like fuel oil, you know, like a lot of the steamers were converted from coal fired to oil fired during the, during the seventies. I thought I'm surprised they have one here as far back as world war two was uh, already running oil fired. But, uh, So be it. Apparently, it was. Uh, You know, I think they're saying that just due to the depth that they're saying that it's been, and and the time that's gone by, it's turned into a solid, like like it originally was solid oil. But then, if you read further down in the article, uh, there appears to be uh, some disagreement as to whether or not it's gone to solid because one gentleman is claiming he's seen it bubbling up from from the wreck. Uh, Look on down past the, uh, the large pictures there.
1: Yeah, yeah, Mr. Doak, uh, he said he saw oil bubble up constantly from Niagara, and he was mystified by Maritime New Zealand's belief that fuel was in a near-solid state most of the time.
2: I mean, if it's in a solid state, I wouldn't think it would be that much of a hazard because, you know, you're saying it's 120 meters, so we're talking close to, close to 400 feet deep here. Um, you know, for one, it's going to be, at that depth, a real challenge to try to uh, clean that up. But two, uh, you know, is there much current down there? Is uh, what What's going to be, you know, how you know, volatile is this uh, oil in there going to be? I mean, it might be pretty inert, and even if the, the hull implodes, it may not go far. I don't know.
1: Yeah. But it sounds like they have a disagreement, and we'll see how this plays out. Uh, the recommendations is that they want to do a survey uh, to, to know better what the state the wreck is in and then make a recommendation.
2: Well, and if it has been bubbling out for 75 years, I mean, how much really is left? I mean, you know, if it is leaking out, I mean, to say it was hit by torpedoes, wasn't it? It was torpedoes? sunk by a German U-boat, as I recall, that the article said. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's a pretty violent sinking. Who's to say how much of it came out in the sinking, too?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I would just, anything I would be saying would be a guess. But, you know, sometimes yeah, sometimes I kind of get to that opinion that if, you know, after a certain amount of time, it tends to, to be rarer and rarer that if there was oil there that it's it's still going to be there. I mean, that many years and water and a vessel, it seems like a lot of that would have corroded through by now.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, the oil does provide a lot of uh, protection against corrosion. I mean, at least on the inside where the oil is, it's not going to rust. From, from from the outside in but it may really be rusting from the from the it's not going to rust from the inside out but it's really rusting from the out from the outside in uh, although the uh, we had a we have a, a similar situation here you know, right aware of this but uh, the EPA keeps track of the uh, different uh, potential uh, environmental disasters here in the Great Lakes and the Evan pitch journal I believe is uh, you know, it, it's in the top five Uh you have the, uh, the Prince Willie, Prince William Five out of Milwaukee. You have the uh, what's it, that uh, municipal barge down there in Chicago is on the list, and also the uh, the Argo recently found over in Lake Erie and and uh, cleaned out too. And from what I understand, the Argo when they found it, it does not appear that it had that much still in it at that time. They still did a, did a full a full detox on it, but. Uh, you know, who's to say, you know, without doing a real investigation, just how much really is it still in there? You know, I mean, uh, there, there's got to be a way to assess what is in this thing. You know, it's, I mean, yeah, people, I'm sure people are not lining up to do a rec penetration at 400 feet, but still there has to be, be a way to figure out, you know, the potential damages. I mean, it looks like they're looking at worst case scenario here when they're talking about how much could be in there and the amount of damage it could do. Um, let's, let's find out what really is in there. If it is in a small form and, you know, let's get her the conjecture and get some facts going on this baby here. Yeah.
1: yeah I, I, I'm a little bit of the, what well, my approach would be, it'd be to look at the plans for the vessel. See, are there any, you know, how, how did they contain the oil? I mean, is it one large tank or are there smaller tanks? And then maybe it's a case of where you actually do an exploratory, uh, drill in a high point and see, does any oil come out?
2: Oh, that would be one way to find out. Yeah. about you know, a high point, but. Yeah, th-
1: th- throw the, you have a way of uh, throwing the cork back in there or something. Corking it? Yeah. Corking
2: it? Yeah. There you go. You know, that, that sounds real good So we try to start talking about being at 400 feet, you know. I mean, well, just, yeah. I don't know.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's why they won't have me do that. Mm-hmm. And then down in Florida, this is a continuation of another article we had done where the uh, new Pompano Reef is being well-received. Uh, six dive boats hovered around the Okinawa, settled into the seabed in silence when the U.S. Coast Guard radioed the vessel, settled. Minutes later, five dozen divers hit the water. Among there was Jerry Stryker, and avid diver. Stryker's been among the first to explore Lady Luck when it was sunk last year, the cornerstone of the Pompano Beach Artificial Reef Shipwreck Park. The addition of the Okinawa did not disappoint. There was really good visibility, Striker reported after the dive, and it is pretty clean. Shipwreck parks may not offer divers the Great Barrier Reef or even the Bahamas, but it is something those reefs do not have, said David Conroe of Blue Deep Divers and Lauderdale-by-the-Sea. It has immediacy. Just off the Papano Pier, there's just 70 feet of depth. Getting there takes less air, leaving more time to explore. It's like going to Disney World, waiting in line for a three-and-a-half-minute ride, Conroe said, of deeper dives. Diver Mike Morris dives in places like Egypt and Indonesia and says the Okinawa Reef is unique. You have got to take everything for what it's worth. It's quick. It's easy to get down there, he said. I'd love to have something equivalent by us to what they've done here.
2: Yeah. I mean, I you don't know. Uh, there was a video of this going around on Facebook uh, people shared. Look for, it looks like it went, when it went down, it went down real fast.
1: I don't know. Do you want it to go down fast or do you want it to go down slow?
2: Well, it looked like they had uh, some lift bags on the top of it to assure that it went down upright. And I think my buddy Jason sent me a link to a video that's going down. And pretty cool to watch. They had a large flotilla to, uh, to send it off, too. It was pretty cool.
1: And it sounds like they were allowing people to dive immediately, which I guess they must have decided that, you know, once it hit bottom, everything was safe. But I'd almost think you'd, have to, you'd want to do a little bit more checking than that, but...
2: I mean, sure, the visibility had, had to be one heck of a silk claw when it hit. hit. <laughs> I, I would mean, think. I mean, although, I mean, hey, when we get her done, that. it couldn't be any worse than, than uh, diving in the river when, when Max out there mucking, you know? So, no. yeah.
1: Couldn't be any worse. Okay, this next article is Artificial Warming Trial Reveals Striking Seafloor Changes. And what this is, is this is uh, a group that went down to the Antarctic and... Uh, they were trying to do is, is see what kind of changes would happen if the water temperature raised by one degree Celsius on the bottom. So what they did is they had uh, dug around the bottom, put these heating pads down there with uh, thermostats on them that would detect the ambient temperature of the water and then heat to just one centimeter above that. And they said uh, the region, the, the water temperatures varied to negative two degrees Celsius to plus two degrees Celsius during the year. So they said it was pretty con- uh, significant, just a one degree Celsius increase. Uh, as a control, they had a patch where they had put the heaters in, but they didn't turn them on. So that became their control. Using cameras, divers then monitored how microorganisms, microorganisms, the kind that encrust surfaces and uh, biofoul underwater pipes, colonize the panels. The species, including microscopic invertebrates and sponges, represented typical seabed fauna in the region. The experiment was supposed to run for two years, but ended after only nine months when icebergs damaged the power supply cables. Researchers were able to see significant surprising differences between the panels, says Ashton. I had hoped we might be able to see some subtle differences after careful image analysis, but I never expected the warming effects would be so easily discernible with the human eye. The metabolic theory predicts that biological growth rates increased around 10 percent for every one degree Celsius warming, but some species grew twice as fast on the heated panels as they did on the control. and her colleagues report in current biology, distinctly different animal communities settled on the heated surface. On the one degree centigrade set, the species, uh, and I'm not going to try and pronounce them, a uh, kind of filter feeding invertiment uh, called a biozoan, so dominated the fauna the diversity of all species in the panel was reduced. The results are very exciting and provocative. They suggest climate warming in the next 50 years in the Antarctic could substantially alter the diversity of the ecosystem. Which I'm not surprised with the results because you're going to have uh, different organisms that are going to enjoy the heat more than others. So this is something that I've I'm, I'm really not surprised because uh, you're looking at it such a narrow slice of time, you know, nine months yeah, but versus. But they only
2: went by, by one degree. Yes. And one degree made such a massive difference. You know, you, you'd think that you'd have that much variance just from year to year. I mean, uh, I'm wondering if, you know, the, the heating elements, you know, were, because, of course, if, if you're going to heat up a glass of water by one degree, the elements you put in there—it's going to be, of course, going to get up a lot hotter than one degree above, you know, the temperature within the water. I'm wondering if there was any kind of an issue with the heating elements uh, you know, actually making the area they're contacting hotter. I'm, I, I hope they would have thought of that. It's kind of simple, basic, but I have a hard to believe that one degree makes that big of a difference. Yeah.
1: Well, what they need to do is take a look at this data and come up with a, a different study or different approach just to try and eliminate any biases because one thing you may have which they what they attempt to do with the control is that maybe it's a combination of the heat and the mat material or yeah. uh, but i just think you had some some animals that preferred it and they were able to push others out you now it's like if i throw a bunch of feed corn in my yard you're gonna see a little bit different ecology than what you would have if they didn't do that yeah
2: i didn't see that it looks like dave is volunteering to uh to do the wreck penetration on that, uh, pretty good's 400
1: feet. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Tanks. Well, why don't we do surface supplied air for that baby? Come on.
1: There you go. Well, I was thinking that that would, you know, what, what depths are they doing? a sag, uh, oh crap. Saturation dives. I mean, I mean, they're, they're deeper than that in their, uh, mm-hmm. I'm gonna say pods. I'm just gonna make up words today. Uh, yeah, the habitat, you habitats. Yeah, yeah, where they, where they stay. Uh, top divers' death mm-hmm. casts long shadow over deep beauty of the Blue Hole. This one's out of Egypt. Uh, the bars and cafes at New Hab this summer. One reoccurring observation has been made among the diving fraternity: core consistency in this Egyptian coasts resort. If it could happen to Steve, it could happen to anyone. Last month, Stephen. Keegan, age 39, from Dublin, drowned while covering, while overseeing a dive by freediver world record holder Alessa Zacchini. While attempting to cross the arch of the Red Sea notorious Blue Hole using only a single breath, a 25 year old Italian became disoriented. Keenan rushed to her aid, grabbed, and guided her to the surface. She made it out unharmed, but he blacked out and was found floating face down some distance away. As a safety diver, Keenan is one of the best in the business. His death has cast a shadow over the summer and provided a stark reminder of the dangers involved in negotiating probably the most dangerous diving spot in the world. The Boo a 120 meter deep sinkhole, five miles north of Dahab. I want to say Duhab, but it's D-A-H-A-B. Its nickname is the Diver Cemetery. Yet thousands continue to flock here each year, unperturbed by the increasing number of plaques that hang in the cliff opposite to mark those who never returned. With no public record, it's hard to say how many people have lost their lives. Divers in Dahab suggest as many as 200 in recent years. One man who doesn't venture to guess is 53-year-old Tarek Omar, a technical diver from Dahab. Omar began exploring the Blue Hole in 1992, fascinated by the tales of the curse laid upon it when an unwilling party to an arranged marriage drowned herself there. Omar rose to fame in 1997 when he retrieved the bodies of Connor O'Regan and Martin Guerra. They were the first bodies recovered from the Blue Hole. Since then, he says he's pulled out more than 20 bodies from the water, earning himself the moniker The Bone Collector. In recent years, as technical diving uh, has become more fashionable, Omar has witnessed a rise in the rate of fatalities, Deaths from free divers such as Keenan are in a constant concern with the sport growing in popularity since Luke Besson's 1988 film, The Big Blue, which brought it to the world's attention. Others maintain that as long as divers do their homework and exercise due caution, the Blue Hole's reputation is un- undeserved. Instructor Alex Hayes says it isn't, it's just isn't that dangerous. Originally from Preston, Hayes, 32, moved to Dehab several years ago and runs the H2O Center. He has dived the blue hole countless times and puts a high number of fatalities down to people being idiots. She maintains that most of the deaths are primarily a result of hubris. People do 100 dives and think they know it all, but they're not prepared for that kind of depth. A bit of knowledge can be a dangerous thing. And then they go on a little bit uh, longer in it. But um, what's interesting is how this article has mashed together free diving and technical diving, which to me would be even though the depths are similar, they're vastly different uh, disciplines and approaches. You know, one, you're doing a breath hold mm-hmm. and you know, your risk there is blackout. So what I would, you know, you know backseat quarterbackings would say is that he overextended himself being a safety diver. Plus you probably have a little bit of extra adrenaline because it's a world record attempt and other things going on. And then in the effort of getting her to the surface, because of the situation, he had just consumed all the oxygen in his bloodstream and blacked out. Um, so, while that as tragic as that is, it seems to be a different situation than what a you know inexperienced divers doing technical diving and diving too deep.
2: Well, I kind of like to know what what the numbers of successful divers are.
1: I mean, because you, you're always going to have
2: you know a, you know a percentage of accidents. I mm-hmm. mean. You know, they're talking about there being potentially 200 fatalities. You know that's really shocking to us. But then you know you, you take a, a stretch of highway in uh, you know in California, and you, you can find 200, 200 fatalities along a lot of highways in California too. So I would look, you know I want to see what the number of people diving this, what percentage of divers this 200 you know fatalities is. So.
1: That unfortunately doesn't look like the information is being collected. Uh, that might be something. I mean, you
2: know, and we, we do have that here, too. I mean, uh, you know, there are different uh, shipwrecks in the Great Lakes, which are considered, you know, real dangerous to divers. But then you also have to look at them that, uh, you know, an awful lot of divers go on those wrecks. I mean, I've seen articles on the uh, the Cedarville. Mm-hmm. seen articles on the, um, the, the Prince Willie out of uh, Milwaukee. You know, having a lot of fatalities on those wrecks, but then you got to realize those wrecks are visited several thousand times a year. So you know, yeah. I mean, you're always going to have. I mean, I don't. I'm not going to mention the organization, but I, I do some volunteer work for a group that provides uh, medical uh, care for injured folks in uh, various sports, and we always have to figure that there's going to be a one percent injury rate, you know, 1% of participants in any kind of athletic uh, activity are going to encounter some kind of injury, you know, uh, not necessarily a drowning, but, you know, it could be a, a strain, sprain, or something there, and that, that rule kind of does hold true through a, a lot of your athletic events.
1: Yeah, I, I. it would be nice to be able to know. Um, I don't know if they've got the type of records down there that we may have up here. I don't think we're going to have formal records, but I think through newspaper articles somebody who was motivated would be able to determine the number of deaths and then you would have to interpolate uh, how many people are are diving on those wrecks you know probably by surveying um, you know charter people or, or observations of divers but,
2: then of course if you you know, if we do have a, an accepted figure for a number of deaths in the blue hole there just is going to draw people as well with, the you want
1: to go the death pit do you want to dive that This next article we have is two scuba divers survive devastating brain injuries and uh, have decided to do a fundraiser. The two divers are attempting a 24-hour underwater scuba-thon to raise funds for charity, which helps people who suffered a brain injury. Members of the Sheltonham Subaquatic Club, which is part of the British Subaquatic Club, will work as a relay team to spend a full day underwater, led by divers James Neal and Neil Breeden. James, 47, a BSAC advanced diver and open water instructor from Sidman's Yacht in the Y Valley, suffered a devastating subarachnoid hemorrhage following the rupture of an undiagnosed aneurysm, which led to a grade four bleed on the brain. Neil, 48, Cheltingham, SAC secretary and British subaquatic dive leader, has also survived a brain injury after suffering a major stroke nearly 10 years ago in 2008 which left him needing to use a wheelchair. Now the pair are organizing the sub a in aid of UK brain injury charity Headway, which supports James during his initial recovery. They hope to raise an excess of 2,500 pounds. The dive will begin on Saturday, September 16th, and finish on noon Sunday, September 17th at the National Diving Activity Center in Chepstow. James, who is his own publishing company, said Cheatham Subaquatics Club has more than one diver that suffered brain injury, so it seemed natural to use our love for scuba diving to raise more awareness and demonstrate the support for headway. I drive a great deal with Neil Breeden, a fellow member who suffered a stroke in 2008, a fantastic therapy for us both. Neil has to use a wheelchair as he cannot walk unaided due to his brain injury. We'll be diving together as usual during the 24-hour marathon dive. We are both dedicated scuba divers, just love being in the water. It helps Neil as he isn't disabled the same way in water as he is out of it, although we enjoy diving together, get in the water as often as we can. So, And we've covered this uh, many times before where uh, some look at it as therapy, but it's just great to be able to reduce your uh, disability or challenge by getting in under the water.
2: Nothing like a little hydrotherapy.
0: Always helps.
2: Well, you know, look at—I'm not saying that uh, you know Kirk about as being disabled, but you know, we have a diver in our club who—he's uh, been going and undergoing a lot of surgeries. You know, he's uh, had a knee replacement, hip replacement, and he's got out diving a few times this year. We had him out to uh, Lake 16, I believe, twice, and he got in. And uh, he just loves getting in there. As you know, when he's in there, the, the, the pressure's off his joints. And it's a bit of work for him and all that. And, and he definitely paces himself because he's got all kinds of, you know, fresh surgeries working with there. But, um, you know, if, if you can if you can manage, get out there. You know, I mean, there are all kinds of programs to get people with disabilities in the water. You know, we've got Dive Heart and different outfits that specialize in getting, you know, people who are, you know, paraplegic, quadriplegic, blind divers. Um, you know, a friend of mine, um, you know, Kevin Van Ripper was telling me all oh, he's certified to, to, uh, aid in non-ambulatory, uh, scuba divers and the kind of training that the instructors have to go through. I mean, there's a lot of folks that are putting a lot into getting people with disabilities in the water. So why shouldn't these guys do it? I mean, these guys are, uh, you know, still quite capable of doing it and I'm sure they're going to, they're going to inspire many other folks as well. So more power to them.
1: And this next article we have is a 90-year-old, 90, 90, I said 90-year-old. I took four years off his life. 94-year-old, oldest scuba diver bid in Zenobia Wreck. Inspirational Ray Woodley spent his 94th birthday on Monday diving the sunken wreck of Zenobia Ferry in Larkana a bid for the Guinness World Record as the world's oldest scuba diver. The accolade was previously held by USA's Irwin Paul Stoller was born on the 14th of May, 1921. He completed a die in Greece Bay, Turks and Caicos, on October 24, 2014, at the age of 93 and 163 days. Ray's attempt saw him dive to a depth of 38.1 meters for 41 minutes. The entire process was filmed, photographed, and documented in line with guidelines approved by Guinness World Records. Ray will know if he has officially been awarded the title in around two to three months' time. I only had to dive below 12 meters for 30 minutes to take the record off the last guy, but I decided to do a bit more, Ray told the Cypress Mail. Originally from Port Sunlight in Willer, Ray is a likable, charming non-Agerian who now lives in Eros Tyconis, close to Limassol. Oh, these are crazy names. He was born in 1923, first started diving in Portland, Weymouth, British Subaquatic Club in 1960. His claim the title comes after completing 39 dives his thir- 93rd year, 39 at 93, and the final one takes place at latchy Watersports in Paphos. However, he's told this Cypress Mail he actually completed 51 dives in his 93rd year. I set out for 30, 39 at 93, but I just kept going. I also went to the maximum depth of 45 meters. My favorite place to dive is Cyprus at Latchee, but also on the... At Ratoni, a couple of weeks in Lamisal. On Monday, Ray was one of the 23rd divers, along with the other members of the Viking Divers and his regular dive buddies who set off to, to dive the Zenobia and help him achieve his record-breaking feat. Daughter Lynn, who was traveling from the UK to help him celebrate his birthday and milestone dive, says he was eager to get in the water and nimbly jumped off the end of the boat in great spirits. The visibility in the water was good, so I was able to snorkel over the divers and saw them unfurl the record-breaking banner about 20 meters before I lost sight of them. The group celebrated with champagne on board the boat afterwards. Ray served the Royal Navy radio branch during World War II, working on shipping convoys in 1943 and 44 before secondment to SBS Special Forces 281 and the Dodecanese. He was a, among the first allied forces to land on roads as the germans retreated in may 1945 after taking up diving in the 1960s ray was positioned was posted to cyprus in 1964 and a regular diver here in 1999 he entered to return to live permanently in cyprus after diving in locations around the world he also completed 29 dives in his 92nd year the 94 old admitted that he likes the attention he has garnered over the last few years and feels privileged he's still fit enough and able to dive on a regular basis. He is an advocate of healthy living and has never smoked. I swim for two hours a day in my swimming pool. Staying active is important. I feel terribly sorry for other people my age who struggle a bit and may not be in a condition I'm lucky enough to be in. Well, if he's diving two hours a day in a swimming pool, he's got me beat by far.
2: Well, yeah, and this is hardcore. I mean, 45 meters, we're talking, he's going deeper than, than 150 feet, so it's well past sport depth. This is impressive. Yeah. <laughs> wow.
1: Yeah. Well, if you're going to go, you're going to go in a big way, I guess.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, somebody has to do CPR on him. I mean, it's, doing CPR on seniors is not pretty, but that's, that's impressive, though. I mean, he's yeah. go for it. I, I mean, I – hope to be diving half that deep if I, if I reach that age. I mean, that's awesome. Okay, yeah. and we're not going to make any comments about, about Mac here, guys. We're not going to talk about Mac. Come on. He's does <laughs> to defend himself, so we're not going there.
0: I just hope Mac can uh, still be diving at 94. Yeah? I, he's, he's doing he's doing what, what Two, three more or three more years to
2: go? That's that
1: that many? Uh, oh, man. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, he, yeah I've, I, I'm almost thinking that maybe somebody sabotaged his uh, equipment just to set it up for this article. Mm. Yeah.
2: I thought we weren't going to go there, guys. Come on. <laughs> this is just, right. It's not like
1: he's going like, he to hear go. go. it. It's not recorded. <laughs> I, I,
0: said, I, I said 20 or 30 more years to go. There you go. go. Yeah,
1: he's got to get the zeros in the right spot. And then the Australian Maritime Museum Council, AMMC, has launched a shipwreck competition. It's titled "Submerged Stories of Australia's Shipwrecks. The AMMC has received 67 shipwreck stories from across the nation as part of a project and a Kaima t- tale is in the running. The best 11 stories will tour Australia in a major expedition. Ex- expedition. Exhibition. I've been messing that one up the last few shows. 2018 to 2020, William Kennedy, Kaima escapologist, and her father, three-time Oscar winner, Ori Kelly, was renowned for the Monte Crisco trick, padlocked and chained. He would be tied to a sack and tossed into Kaima Harbor. He invariably escaped. Late in December 5th, 1888, government pilot. Oh, okay. I'm not going to read it. This is one of the stories. So anyway, they're showing the stories. If you go to our show notes... Uh, and click the link. You'll be able to see all the stories and read. But are are these are are these supposed to be true stories or are these fiction? It says sixty-seven shipwreck stories from across the nation. I would I would hope that they're you're you're doing true ones.
2: Well, but if they're not specifying that they're true, they probably aren't. <laughs> I and mean, that'd be pretty good bragging rights if they were true. Real big selling point. Yeah. Well, I mean, and the thing is that they're. If there's a competition for the stories I mean then you'd have to have a competition for you know i don't know the the office of writing ability rather than the you know people that survived it their ability to survive it. <laughs> I don't know how to say it exactly well but.
1: there's one story is going on as it's talking about something that happened in eighteen eighty eight so uh, if if you're still alive to accept the uh award you're doing pretty good
2: well it looks like a guy diving so Come
1: yeah. on. Have a little faith. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 150 years isn't long. Now, how's this for finding a bottle? Uh, well, as soon as this this article loads up. Well, this is getting ready to load. We'll just do our normal plug. I'd like to thank WRVO Radio for putting us on the air. Again, if you like hunting, fishing, and the great outdoors, you're going to love listening to their programs. Go to our website, www.scubaobsessed. Scroll on down to the bottom, and you'll see a link that will take you and show you how you can listen. Okay, so what they're saying is that whiskey galore bottles have been salvaged from a ship and, uh, they're expected to sell for 9,000 pounds. A pair of unique bottles of whiskey salvaged from a shipwreck that prompted a humorous book and film after locals tried to hide it from customer officers has emerged for sale for 9,000 pounds. When the SS politician was run aground in 1941 with 28,000 cases of whiskey in its hold, op- opportunistic islanders on the Erské Outer Herbrides decided to plunder the cargo. Heavy-handed c- customs officials dynamited the ship rather than let the locals get their hands on any more of the whiskey and even prosecuted some of the raiders. Remarkably, one of the bottles ended up being put up for auction is heavily encrusted with blast debris from the explosion. Two models are now being sold by Marshall Wright Limited based in Cunxford, Cheshire. The SS politician set off from Liverpool heading to Jamaica, Kingston, and New Orleans, but got stuck in an unseen sandbank off Erskine on February 5th, 1941, during bad weather. The fuel tanks ruptured and the engine gave up, leaving the crew and cargo waiting to be rescued. It was carrying lots of different things, including cotton and medicines, but it was the 264,000 bottles of whiskey in hold number 5 that the locals were most interested in. Unofficial salvage parties set out to rescue the cargo, even donned their wives' dresses to prevent getting incriminating oil from the ship on their own clothes. Because the ship was headed for America, no excise duty had been paid on the goods, and officials desperately tried to get it back, about 24,000 bottles that were salvaged. Locals tried to hide the evidence, stashing bottles in drain pipes, toilet cisterns, or sometimes just drinking them. Some ended up in court and spent up to six weeks in jail. Customs official Charles... McCall got permission to dynamite the ship to prevent any further temptation for salvage. Islanders watched in disbelief, and one Angus John Campbell summed up their feelings. Dynamiting whiskey, you wouldn't think there'd be a man in the world so crazy as that. Sir Compton McKenzie wrote the book Whiskey Galore in 1947, based on the humorous incident and a film followed in 1949. The film was remade last year, starring Eddie Izzard. The two bottles were... Rediscovered by Diving Party in 1970 and still contained the original whiskey, Ron Pitchard, one of the divers, has had these two bottles ever since, kept them on the sideboard of his village home till he and his family decided to sell them. One is from Gio Balinti of Scotland and only half folds the cork shrank and some of the whiskey evaporated before the bottle was resealed. The other from W.A. Gilby of London is encrusted with blast debris, from the hole that was dynamited. The heat encrusted the debris to uh, cause the debris to melt and then rehardened around the neck of the bottle. Peter Pop- Hopkins writes Marshall Fine Wine and Spirits Consultant said the SS politician was only about the 20 feet of water and the whiskey was packed in wooden boxes that floated to the surface. There was one rather officious customs officer and he was adamant the Islanders weren't going to have it. He actually prosecuted several of them so they took to hiding it in toilet cisterns, drain pipes, and mattresses.
2: Yeah, but doesn't dynamiting whiskey constitute alcohol abuse?
1: <laughs> I would I would think so. <laughs>
0: <sighs> Kevin, you have a unique perspective on things.
1: Well,
2: I mean, come on, what a waste. You know, I mean... A lot better thing to do with it than that. I mean, yeah. in the, in the boondocks, come on. you got to get better yeah.
0: things to do. You know, come on. Well, apparently he doesn't. And, you know, like, you can't have it. So we're just going to blow it up. Yep. Yeah, Alcohol. It, you know, mm-hmm. Is Did he I... a retired U.S. government official? Hello?
1: Yeah. Those you guys? Uh, No, I just didn't know know where to go from there. Oh, for (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That'll be the last word on that one then. Yes.
1: And this next one, which I'm also waiting to load. uh, See, I preloaded these in the iPad, but I must have exceeded the memory of the device because it still insists on reloading them, which is remarkably a lot quicker than my computer on the same Internet. So the Corner Cafe, when Audrey Longton moved to Wrightsville Beach in 2014, she brought her knowledge of what it takes to craft the best coffee to find welcoming a space just off the beach. I was raised in the restaurant industry, and uh, from a young age, from authentic Italians, it made me extremely picky when it comes to ordering coffee from coffee shops. She opened the workshop last summer in a cozy space right behind the trolley shop hot dogs. It's not just any coffee. Coffee shop it combines her love of coffee and fascination with scuba diving. I've been diving for only three years but got into scuba really fast. I got certified right here in Wrightsville Beach. That led to an interest in sharks' teeth. The first time I went hunting really changed everything for me. The challenge and the excitement you get out is unbelievable. While I was in the process of getting permits to start my coffee shop, all I was doing was going shark tooth hunting with my boyfriend instructor Chris. So after a while we accumulated quite a collection. This is when I started to make jewelry with the teeth and we recovered and then decided to sell the jewelry in my shop. And then she goes on and starts talking about the food and the coffee, but what really drew me to the article is go look at those teeth that she's got on that rail in the photo. Uh, Now, there's there's no... Oh, it's hard to... Yeah, it's hard to gauge the size.
2: Nothing. Nothing scale, yeah, yeah. But
1: they're at least two and a half inches, I would say, but... They could easily be more, because uh, the ones that are pendants, those are smaller shark teeth, kind of like what you're used to seeing, but those ones on the rail, those are pretty beefy looking.
2: I mean, yeah, they, they kind of look like they're, they're Megalodon teeth, but then again, it's hard to say, because there's nothing there for scale, and there's that might be for a reason, too.
1: Yeah, but beautiful. So if you can do what you love, and it gives an excuse to go scuba diving, why not? So that does it for scuba news. So, anybody get any scuba diving in this last week?
0: I'm sure Jim's had a little. Kevin, bit. Kevin, I'll let you go first. Go ahead, Kevin. You, know, you got anything you got in? Uh, nothing to compare to what you've got going on. I mean, I I don't know. Oh,
1: I, I
2: don't know. You've, think think
0: you've got, you got a few guys a dive. dive in last weekend. Last week, didn't you?
2: I got to dive in, but I've been sworn to secrecy. Uh, if you guys want to see anything about it, you'll have to come to Mysteries and Histories in in March with uh, Michigan Sugar Association. So. Uh,
0: no, I I just thought maybe you'd talk about it. Um,
2: yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I had, we had great visibility, uh, lots of good photo op. Um, it was, once again, a little bit of a learning experience. Um, I don't know. Uh, I had a lot of vehicle issues. Uh, I don't know. I had a flat tire on the way and, oh. and found that my Found my spare wasn't in too much better condition than the tire I was taking off, but it it sufficed. Um, I don't know. Uh, it was it was it was a trip that you know if I'd have made the trip the week before, because I initially was invited on the trip about three about three weeks ago, and all my gear was in top condition, ready to go. But it was just in that last week, everything just went to hell. I mean, my my uh, rebreather needed some maintenance on it, which I got done. Um, I had issues with, um, you know, with my, with my vehicle, with the boat. The boat's been driving me crazy. I've had, it turns out this is an issue with a uh, very flaky sensor telling me it's overheating when it's not. Um, but, you know, I had a real decent dive with, uh, Craig Rich of MSRA. Um, like I say, got lots of video, but as far as what it was and the depth and where, mm, I can't say. Come to Mysteries and Histories and you'll see okay. all the footage it'll you know, be worth your time.
0: No, oh, we will. But can you tell me, did it have hogging arches? I can't talk about it. <laughs> okay, I can't, I can't talk about it. All right, no problem.
1: Well, I, I think he was in North America. I think that's we can we can deduce that. So that that cuts out at least uh, three quarters of the shipwrecks in the world.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Say, I really probably was really okay. press on me to mums the word on this one.
1: So everybody right now is looking up the shipwreck. All right.
2: Well, I, I will I will say that it's <laughs> something which almost no one has dove. Um but I can't I can't talk about it, unfortunately. I'm sorry. We're good.
0: Okay. No problem. Yeah.
1: See where's that sodium pentothal when you need it?
0: Hmm.
1: So any other diving?
0: I got a couple of dives in up here in the Straits of Mackinac.
1: So you need to Where tell everybody when I, I came up for yeah?
0: Bob and I came up for our annual week to 10 days of diving around uh, the northern tip of Mackinac, between the upper and lower peninsulas, where Lake Michigan and Lake Huron meet, and if you go a few miles to the east, Lake Superior flows down into it, and then it just keeps working its way south from there, so we've been, got a few dives in on the Michigan side, got a couple dives in on the Huron side, just been a good week of uh, mild decompression diving. Most of my deco has been less than, no, I think it's all been under 20 minutes, but I've been able to get to, uh, well, in the last three weeks, I guess, we've done 170, 160, 145, 150, 160, so I'm, this year is the year for me to hit some of the deeper wrecks and do some staged decompression, so still doing it on air, and nitrox for decogas, gas. have not gone to trimix and helium yet, but that may be next summer.
1: Nice, so I saw that you so had... we tried uh, to post
0: some videos. and Yep. Try to get some videos and some photos out there when we can. I'm trying to upload a video right now from the Newell Eddy uh, in Lake Huron. So hopefully it'll upload before 8 o'clock tomorrow morning.
1: <laughs> How many of these wrecks you dove on was it the first time you had you had visited them?
0: Hmm. Two of them were first time, I believe. Uh, the Young, I believe, was the first time I I dove that, the William Young.
2: You've got the Young. Uh, that I'm, was really, I'm jealous.
0: I am jealous. That was <laughs> a really nice wreck. And then the uh, Newell Eddy was definitely a first time. Um, very interesting wreck. Two hundred Like 212 feet long. I and mean, this thing was just a monster for being a uh, three-masted schooner. But they used it quite often as a barge. They towed it as much as they sailed it, if not more. And it was under tow when the tow line parted, and it hit a reef. Um, appears to have hit it on the, from the stern, because the stern and the stern deck and some of the stern of the ship. The fantail, if you would call it, um, washed up on Boy's Blank Island, and the wreck was never found until I think 1992. Uh, they spotted it sitting, <coughs> excuse me, sitting in what they said was a uh, 160 feet of water. You can get on the deck at about 145, and you can do a swim through at about 155, 153, somewhere in that range. So uh, Bob and I dove it on his boat. We had flat lake out there. It was fantastic. Um, just dropped down on it. I got down to about the deck level, swam off the line, and just did a bow to stern flyover of the deck, taking video. Turned around, dropped down into the where the stern's broken off, and came back under the main deck. Uh, through the hall got all the way up to the forecastle and that was still intact got into the forecastle swam around there and then came out as Bob was coming in and that was about the end of my dive I had about 15 minutes of bottom time so I headed back up the line and started my deco and ended up with about a 36 minute total run time so that was a real interesting dive. And tomorrow, if the weather cooperates, we're going to try to get over and do the F.T. Barney, which I haven't seen for a number of years. So how's the interesting? They say the the mast is broken off on the Barney, but still, I'm sure it's going to be a beautiful wreck. You started to ask a question. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was
1: going to say, how's the uh, conditions been up there? I saw one photo you had posted and it looked like glass.
0: It's been interesting from day to day. Uh, we went out one day, and we had, you know, two-foot chop that was just kind of constant. Uh, wasn't really big, but it was constant. and The tops were getting blown off the waves. Um, and we went out the next day, and the wind was almost non-existent. you know, just a few ripples on the water. So it's, it's been back and forth. Uh, we've had some storms come through in the evenings but we haven't gotten a lot of wind or rain out of them. They've kind of skirted around us. Um, today was very chilly and very blustery as a front came through. But hopefully that'll give us uh, lighter winds tomorrow, and we'll be able to get down the Rogers City and get out there on the the Barney. Well, cool. It, yeah, it's been interesting. The Barney, the Barney was my favorite wreck until I got on the Eber Ward. And the Eber Ward really was impressive in that it's sail and steam, uh, where the Barney was just a pure sailboat. Uh, But I really loved the Barney because it had, you know, the wooden hoops that used to hold the sail against the mast, just all piled up at the bottom of the mast. Uh, The belaying pins, where they used to tie the lines, um, you know, wrap the lines around the pins. All the rails, the pins were still on the rails. The line was all rotted off and gone, but the pins were there. And, you know, the big double gang block, two gang block that would match up to another two gang block for the boom bang was just laying on the deck where the rope had rotted away and it just fell to the deck laying there. And the Barney's one of the few ships that still has the cabin on the deck. Most of the time, the cabin would blow off or float away uh, when the ships went down. But the Barney got hit on the side, and it just settled so quickly that, for some reason, the cabin didn't lift off. It just flooded, and down it went with her back. You know, so it's still on there. So that makes for an interesting penetration. Um in a small area and still has the uh, little stove, wood-burning stove in the corner of the cabin. So I'm hoping to get some video of that tomorrow.
1: Nice. Now, you said you got some video of the Young?
0: Yes. Yes, we did get some video of the Young. Um, I think I got some video of the Young. Yeah, Eber Ward. I lost the video of the Eber Ward. All we got was Bob's still shots of the Eber Ward. I got some video. I got some video of Bob and the Evo Ward, but uh, one of the videos didn't didn't come out very well. And then we did the Cedarville. I got some nice, interesting uh, shots of the Cedarville. Did a little penetration in the wheelhouse or in the, the forward part of the, uh, the deck of the Cedarville. And uh, did a very interesting underneath where the unloading mechanism... Uh, the Cedarville basically sits completely, almost upside down. It's sitting on the loading mechanism, and there's a gap forward of the loading mechanism that you can get underneath the ship, and you can swim all the way through underneath. And I didn't want to, because I didn't want to get disoriented coming up on the hull side to try to find my way back to where I had come down and had laid a, a, a reel, because I used a reel over the side, grouped it down where I'd be able to find my way. When I came back up, I just had to swim along the hull, and the reel would be laying there waiting for me to guide me back to the anchor line, which was over the top of the hull on the other side. So I didn't want to do a full circle underneath, but I shot some video from there, and you could see the light coming through from the other side underneath the ship, where you can actually go underneath the ship. So, Kevin, I think you and I did that last year. It was Bob and I did that last year. Swam through the think, hole underneath and came up.
2: I think that that was you and Bob. I I just did a short dive on the bow last year. It you That's right. You...
0: That's right. It was blowing so hard. You came out a little later. Yep. 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 How was so, the current this year? It's on been a, C- Cedarville almost non-existent. Wow. We've had very little current on the dives this year. It's been amazing. Uh, visibility hasn't been that great. The water hasn't been as clear as it usually is, but, uh, the current's good. And I say, you know, not as clear. We're running 30 to 60 or 70 feet, depending on the wreck.
2: Well, still that's, that's pretty decent. You're talking about up to, up to 70 feet. That's, that's real nice. That's yeah. Decent visibility.
0: Yep. So,
2: yeah, it's, it's too bad. You, you lost the video on the, uh, reward but as I recall last year we you, know, you and I both got some really good stuff on the ward I think Bob did too you know, we had a we had two dives it last year with I don't know 60 foot visibility and I uh, think all three of us came out with a really nice video on that so it was kind of nice with something yep. you and I had was, was, was showing each other on the wrecks so it was pretty cool
0: yeah that was neat you know when two people are videoing you can work back together like that so yeah that was really good
1: well nice so how long are you guys going to be up there
0: um, We're scheduled till Tuesday. A lot depends on what the weather looks like Monday and Tuesday. Uh, they have the bridge walk here on Monday, and there's also a bridge swim where you can swim under the Mackinac Bridge and across the Straits from the Lower Peninsula to the Upper Peninsula, or vice versa. I'm not sure which way they go. So they pretty much have the bridge uh, completely shut down in the morning. And Mackinac City is a zoo, so if we do anything, it'll be out of the Sheboygan launch on Monday. But we'll we'll play it by ear and see how it goes.
2: Do you know uh, what times the uh, bridge is closed down? You say it's going to be closed on Labor Day in the morning? 6 a.m.
0: Okay. Yep, they're shutting the bridge down at 6 a.m., so you can expect a long backup because it's completely shut down. Normally, they just close one lane. Uh, you know, it's two lanes across each way. Normally, they just shut down half the bridge and allow one-lane traffic each direction. Uh, but this year, they're closing the bridge completely from 6 a.m. till noon.
1: Okay. So so that's the time you want to have a ferry service.
0: <laughs> if you would. <laughs> You'll all
1: your money in... The- Six hours for a year. I don't think it would take that long. Well, Kevin, do you have a shipwreck of the week you want to plug? Or Yeah,
2: you know, i got to apologize. I'm a little bit unprepared for that one tonight.
1: Oh, no problem. So uh,
2: I'm going to pass on that tonight. Sorry, guys.
1: Okay. Well, we're get, we're getting out of the items that I had to cover. you guys have anything you want to plug before we close this up?
2: Yeah, um... I would encourage everyone to uh, support your local dive shop. You know, we all look the bargains online, but the bargains online are going to fill your scuba tanks. Also support your local libraries. There's a wealth of information there, which once they close is going to be lost forever. Additionally, you know, I've been dealing with some uh, small businesses lately and I feel kind of bad because you know, a lot of your small mom and pops are, you know, being gobbled up by, you know, what, what Amazon does and all the online retailers. It's, really hurting the, hurting the little guys. I've been kind, of, been kind of fabricating some electronics for some different diving applications here and there and uh, double some folks over at uh, Ken's Electronics in Kalamazoo here. And I was just amazed at how you know, above and beyond you find these small businesses will, will go for you, you know, and uh, please, you know, dive shops are often small businesses too. I mean, support your local small businesses.
0: I'll just echo what Kevin said. Um, Sorry to say that one of the dive shops up here in Sheboygan, the only dive shop up here in Sheboygan, uh, is going to be closing at the end of this season. Uh, The building they're in has been sold, and they're going to still run some charters and do teaching, but they won't be operating a shop anymore. That's terrible. Uh, That's
2: an awesome dive shop up there. Oh, great
0: dive shop great dive shop yeah. joe joe lavender and keith Knecht uh who run the place uh, along with a couple other guys you know they're they're just they bend over backwards to go out of their way to help you and get you whatever you need so um joe's gonna continue doing charters and uh, keith's gonna be doing a lot of teaching so i'm glad they're gonna stay in the industry because they're great resources uh and true assets for the dive industry.
1: Yeah, so there you hear yeah. it. You gotta you gotta get out there and support them because I'm sure part of the decision to to not find a new location had to look at would they ever recoup the cost of a, a new place? And you got to build it up and you know rent it. Yeah, you know, it's such a seasonal location up there.
2: Yeah, but they have such awesome wrecks up there. I mean, what they have in the straits, I mean, we could get just one of those boats down here. I mean I mean well since the dive shop is closing can we like get the reward put down here maybe <laughs> you know a, I mean
1: a, a, it's a like a transfer
2: Yeah you know I mean just the, the wrecks they have up there I mean yeah we we have we have decent historic nostalgic, you know nice wrecks down here but not compared with the Straits I mean no just talking about with the new old eddy with the mast still standing and uh I know like over on the uh the uh William Young you got the wheel still sits there Uh, You know, the Eber Ward, uh, this massive, uh, like, 140-foot-long freighter sitting down there. The hulls all intact. You can do all kinds of wreck penetrations on. I mean, the States has, you know, I often stay on the podcast that here in the Great Lakes we have the best diveable wrecks in the world, okay? Well, they're at the Straits, okay? I mean, those wrecks up there, they have those those wooden hull steamboats, uh, you know, mostly intact, you don't find it anywhere else. In salt water, in salt water, the worms would have eaten them up if they'd be long gone. Well, I'm off my soapbox.
1: <laughs> you're off your soapbox?
2: Yeah, I'm off the soapbox. <laughs> I'll stop preaching about libraries and dive shops and the reward. Ward. Man, it's just, it's just not right.
1: Mm. So I'd we like to thank all our Patreon supporters. If you're enjoying this program and you'd like to help out and you think it's at least worth a dollar, why not donate to our Patreon account? Go to www.scubaobsessed.com. Click on over to the Patreon link, which you should find on just about any page in the website, and uh, give us a little bit of donation. You donate $3 or more, you get early access to the show notes. makes it much quicker to follow along. You can have them preloaded, and maybe you can anticipate. And would uh, like to thank Vanessa Holmyak. She's at our Dive Nitrox level. Uh, I'd like to have a few more people at that level to re- certainly help pay the bills. All this uh, hosting and services uh, fees start to add up. So any help anybody can give us is certainly appreciated. If you want to follow us, you can do that on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. We're on Twitter at scuba obsessed. Well, we're waiting for this. Uh, any any specials going on at the dive shop? Look like I uh, you saw
0: you had some dry suits yes.
1: and used equipment had, had come in.
0: Yeah, we've, we've got, you know, if anyone's interested in dry suits, uh, we've got, Over 30 dry suits in the shop right now for sale. Wow. I just got uh, 14 dry suits in from a sheriff's department, uh, a couple of different styles. So we're, uh, if anyone is interested in a dry suit, uh, I'll be back in the shop Wednesday. Contact uh, Wolf's Diver Supply and we will make you a deal. Um, I'm going to, well, It's out here now on the podcast. Anybody listening to the podcast gets an early shot at it. I'll be putting out another email blast to our customers with specific details. Uh, So if you want to get that, let us know. And uh, and then we'll be doing a few other things to move those suits through. So we've got great opportunities to uh, extend your diving season. Through a use of a dry suit.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna to have to go down. I need to. I need to. To. Uh, I need to do something about a BC. Uh, yeah, because mine, I think, is just uh, it reached its lifespan.
2: Yeah, you know, once you go dry suit, you 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 won't go back. I mean, people use them, you know. Except in the, in the warmest conditions, it's really nice to be able to, you know, get in, stay dry. Uh, you know, yeah, you don't want to use them on, on hot days. But, uh, you know, there are a lot of days when even when you're diving and the air is hot, it's still really nice. It's, it's worth it to uh, be warm and cozy. As we know, you get deep and it gets cold.
1: I, f- I found the, the uh, joke we're going to use this week. And what drives me nuts is I know that I retyped it up. So I have no idea what I did with it. So unless I just mislabeled the file and I'm looking at the wrong things. But, so are you ready? Ready. Do it. A scuba diver in a taxi leans over to ask the driver a question and taps him on the shoulder. The driver screams, lost control of the cab, nearly hits a bus, drives over the curb, stops just inches from a large plate glass window. For a few moments, everything was silent in the cab, and the still-shaking driver said, I'm sorry, but you scared the living daylights out of me. The frightened diver apologized to the driver and said he didn't realize that a mere tap in the shoulder could frighten him so much. The diver replied, No, no, I'm sorry, it's entirely my fault. Today's my first day driving a cab. I've been driving a hearse for the last 25 years. A <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. well, little different clientele, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. So, on that note, go out there and get wet.
0: Stay safe. And remember, no hearse drivers were harmed in the making of tonight's show. Show ain't over yet. has been completed
1: well thank you again everybody in the chat room thank you jim thank you kevin for coming on and i am thoroughly jealous of the diving you're getting in up there i am so far behind i think i have to stay underwater from now to the end of the year to catch up to everybody else
0: are you just gonna take some vacation and come up with us next year i'm gonna have to